0: This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. I'm Jack Pelzer. I'm Dan Hodgman. That is Dan Hodgman on his... uh, tin can microphone they sent in <laughs> in wisconsin so we apologize for some of that technical air in advance but you know we're all making sacrifices right now and uh you know this is lower on the list but uh to make it up with you we have a uh, very special guest today we have the founder the visionary himself mr michael patak michael how you doing
1: doing well how are we doing gentlemen great enjoyed a nice memorial day weekend got out on the water how about you guys It was great. Went out and saw the uh, parents
0: uh, ate some fried chicken yesterday. The one thing we talked about this briefly before we hit record is that it just got really, really hot all of a sudden. And I'm like a human husky where I just don't I don't do well in the heat, man. Like I like I'm feeling a little ill today. I just feel like it's all taken out of me.
1: Yeah, it hit. It hit us quick. It was 60 degrees all last week. And all of a sudden we hit 85 here this weekend. No time to adjust. Welcome to the Midwest, I would say. Right. The humidity has shown its face. Yeah. I mean, well, usually what we do is uh,
0: in the intros, and we can do it today, is we usually trying to do something more timely to talk about the markets. And um, as has often been the case lately, we can talk about another huge uh, gap up in the uh, equities. Uh got to say, that took me by surprise. You know, like <laughs> I uh, I thought the long weekend, I thought we were going to get a little sell
1: off Friday into it. And then... Uh, It appears we're never getting us off again. So, uh, Well, you think about it. We saw states open up this weekend. We saw, you know, the economy was bustling again. I know Chicago is still closed, but up here in Wisconsin, it was like summer never, you know, we never skipped a beat. Every place was crowded, jam-packed. The water was, I mean, I've never seen so many boats out here. So I think people are seeing that. The New York Stock Exchange just opened their floor back up today. Um, So people are ready to be active.
0: Yeah, I know. I sure am. So, like, I think it still is. uh, This has been a common theme of, like, the last, say, five or six podcasts. It is interesting because, remember, the last time that we broke uh, 3,000 in the S&P 500, it kind of, like, took forever to get there, right? It was a battle, and then just, boom, right over the weekend, we're above it again. So,
2: I like how they throw those big moves and push past uh, these uh, key levels, usually in overnight trading, Mm -hmm. or or right on the open when you kind of don't expect it. Right. When things are a little bit thin, it gives it a chance to really take off. I think, you know, Michael,
1: you make a good point there. I think right when it opens, you have no clue what's going to happen. And that's why it's so important to just kind of stay away from the market. Let that thing open up because if you're on the wrong side of that, you can get hurt really bad. You can get caught in slippage. Um, You can take too much risk that you don't need to take.
0: Yeah. Just for everyone out there too. Um, you know, like the, the smart money overnight, it's a different sort of market participant that's in there. And I think I saw this stat that kind of blew my mind apart was uh, during that whole sell-off in March. And, you know, what, we'll edit this out if I'm completely wrong on this and misstating it. But during the uh, giant sell-off, <laughs> hey, I got a cover my bases. During mm-hmm. that sell-off in March, um, if you just went long during the day, the market was actually up. I believe it. It was just everything was happening overnight and, you know, it's similar things going on now.
2: But in between there, I've been watching it every day since then. And when the markets would reopen, it, it's been like no change for, I don't know, last couple of weeks through three weeks. That's every, what I was going to say. Every day, every day on open, on the reopen. Uh, but yeah, you're right. When COVID first came out, uh, you had some major moves right right on the open. And uh, I mean, that's just too thin. It's, it's, it's not a, It's not a place I like to trade. Yeah. I think what we saw was a
1: lot of computers obviously shut off on the first sell-off. And I think after the initial reaction happened, after that first emotion, um, you saw people powering up these algorithms. These computer systems were firing them during the day when they had better control. And then in the overnight, as soon as we hit that pit close, I think they were shutting those things off and letting the night session just go wild.
0: Yeah. Well, what we're going to do today, I thought it would be a fun conversation to have because like a lot of people out there, they know Michael's story and it is a very compelling story. But we thought today we'd talk a little about, not obviously many of you are probably coveted out at this point, um, but there's also this uh, simultaneous kind of uh, renaissance going on among the retail trading industry and it was sort of like the confluence of... Uh, the beginning of the uh, no cost uh no transaction costs for stock trading and sort of the rise of Robin Hood and some other things combined with everyone being at home and the market's going wild, but if you look at some of the numbers of uh retail trading accounts or the amount of money that's being traded by uh, small investors it's it's completely insane it's gone completely parabolic in the uh, last two months
2: yeah it's uh you know what I've noticed with this whole thing It's actually came all before this this happened and before the rabbit hoods and whatnot i think it, it all started percolating with the uh with cryptos i mean i think everybody started the uh millennials i guess would turn their buddy and their buddy had cryptos and just talking how much they were up and it kind of got that retail itch back going i remember in the late 90s retail was where it was at i know uh uh, people were taking money out of their credit cards to put in the markets. I, you know, I had quite a few people around me, and they weren't just like friends; they were my friends' parents doing stuff like that. And and that was in the late '90s when you could the big thing was you get better returns on your money putting it at a, in the stock market than you could beat your your credit card re- charges on there. So that's something I saw then, and then it thinned out in the 2000s, and it all came back in in you know 2010 and beyond. Right.
1: I think crypto bringing that up is a great point because you think about it, this industry was fairly dominated. You just said it was your friend's parents. It was older people that were more into this when you look at the demographics. And as crypto came involved, it created this concept of people thinking about the science behind it, that technology, that millennial, that generation Z, The pe- they are the ones that are really intrigued in that concept of blockchain. And so they were able to start dabbling. And I think you saw it with a lot of the companies out there that you could buy the cryptocurrency, you know, the Bitcoin, the Litecoin, it was really hard to sell it. And the CME came in and opened up the futures contract and um, it gave an opportunity for people to short the market. And that started to excite people. And now people are really engaged in this concept of, you know, in and out, feeling that movement, getting that the, the little bit of a high that comes with trading As soon as COVID came, they saw the same volatility we were seeing in Bitcoin. We saw Bitcoin take off from $6,000 to $20,000 in a matter of two weeks. So they saw that volatility and now you're seeing it across the board in all products out there. And it was a quick transition for a lot of the younger demographics to go, oh, I get it with crypto. I should be able to understand it when it comes to futures, when it comes to stocks, when it comes to other investment and trading opportunities. Yeah,
0: there's a lot of a uh, correlation, too, with, you know, at the uh, turn of the millennium with all the dot-com millionaires and all the – especially, you know, I was – during the Bitcoin phase, I was trading in Chicago, and there were a lot of, uh, you know, the Bitcoin millionaires who came out of that, the people who were, you know, the true zealots of Bitcoin um, that did quite well for themselves.
2: You know what I found out is – that is. There hasn't been a washout, and I read an article, a washout of retail. Usually in the late 90s, there's was a washout of retail. The dot-com exploded. NASDAQ hit its highs in March around twenty, around 2000, 5,000. They hit 5,000 in 2000 uh, time period, and they didn't see those new highs in the NASDAQ index until about 15 years later. There was a huge influx of retail trading in the late 90s. And a lot of those those people got got washed out. What I like to say, because uh, they were just you know playing in the dot coms, playing in the the big movers. Anything big moving always get, is going to attract people. And and we saw that with cryptos. Uh, and then we saw that towards the trail end of uh, the um, pre COVID, I would say end of 2019, beginning of 2020, when. When, uh, you know, you talk about all these Tesla millionaires, I mean, there's a lot of action in January, everybody, I know I put money in, in January and I was instantly up 20% on that and I just spread it all across. And, and it was kind of my, my test of saying, you know, why are all these retail getting paid so much? Cause you hear, hear all these yellows, you hear all these stories and you see these people taking, uh, you know, taking in big chunks of change. Now, do they have it still? I don't know, but the retail trader is here, and the retail trader has not been flushed out from what I'm seeing. And if anything, it's given them more of a uh, an excitement around. Uh, you know, you give this a little bit of attention, and you start to understand if this does that, and that does that, then hmm, maybe I should try this, and I'll do that. And that's kind of what I'm seeing.
1: I think even the, one of the biggest benefits for the retail trader is they've introduced the micro e mini contract. So it allows you to get in a little bit cheaper it opens up for that retail trader to at least start to kind of dip his toes in to get a, a feel for those markets and i think a lot of people were able to get on the short side i think people were quick to want to be short it's been something i've been hearing from people for the last couple of years on how they want to be short um, i can go i go back to like 2016 and i'd be standing on the floor and i'd hear guys come running in we'll see you later spooz it's finally over and You know, (laughs) three years later, we were hitting highs, but I think this it opened the micros. It brought people in that really wanted to get involved, but they they didn't want to front the few thousand dollars. The micros came in, they got the feel for it, and now they're able to start to build those accounts and run those shorts down. And now we're able to take advantage of some of these huge opportunistic moves. So a little
0: backstory, we've uh, decided to have Dan ditch the tin can mic. And now he's talking through his computer. So it'll sound a little bit like a uh, like a call-in show. So it'll we'll just depend. You're, you're, you're like one of the guys out from Stickney who wants to talk about the Bears or something.
1: Right. It's kind of funny. We're, this is the first time ever we have a guest in office. And Jack and I are not in the office having a conversation with them.
0: <laughs> it's fine. I think people, people are willing to bear with this stuff right now. Well, we'll use that awkward uh, transition as the transition into um, – I kind of wanted to see what your guys' thoughts were on some of the pros and cons of the different um, asset classes that are popular among retail traders, right? So I think everybody kind of starts. Anyone who's interested in finance or whatever else usually starts with stocks because, I mean, stocks are pretty intuitive. But then uh, if you're going to start trading, then you want to uh, you know live a little more, not dangerously, but you want to be able to lever up a little bit. You want to be able to get some movement out of them. And I think now uh, through Robinhood and some other things, a lot of people next get into um, options and things like that. Um, and then futures is a little bit more sophisticated crowd. I was kind of thinking we all um, were futures traders during our uh, professional career. Oh, Dan, you did options too. But um, for retail traders, like, what do you guys think are the big pros and cons or that they should know before they get into those sorts of trades?
1: Number one, crude oil can go negative
2: yeah we just learned that <laughs> yeah, <we> just, <laughs> yeah I just learned that after twenty some years of trading that you right? know um I think everybody does start with uh of course equity stocks you know hey the Jordans are coming out what do, what do I think about buying Nike things like that and then after they do things like that they wanna they wanna everybody wants more buying power everybody wishes they could could trade bigger and 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 whatnot uh so then how do you feed that itch um Options is, is usually the next best play. I know I went from equities to dabbling in options, and then I remember going back to uh, equities. and And I would always watch the S and P index futures as the leader of the industry. When the whole futures start to rally, then I figured that you know the stocks that I was trading would follow. So eventually, I just said, "Why am I watching stocks when I'm watching S and P? Or why am I trading stocks when I'm watching S and P's?" And, and the uh, the indexes, the NASDAQ and the Dow, and that's when I made my transition to futures. So Futures to me is the most sophisticated. It's the pro ball players uh, of the industry, the athletes of the industry I like to call them, um, tend to play in that arena. Uh, I like the movement. I think uh, the futures product is an exciting product to trade. Um, but I do see how people go, kind of the progression is equities, options, and then, all right, what's next? And then there's a big leap to futures, which isn't really a big leap for for most. They just can't wrap their head around it, I think, out of the get. But once they jump into it, I don't think they really ever go back.
1: I think that's a common progression. I think a lot of traders do that. It's it's fun to watch You know, something like Nike or you take Boeing for an example. We all know Boeing has the potential to recover back to that 300 mark. The payout to get there is going to take a while, but what is everyone watching when they have any sort of stock? Take it Boeing or their Netflix or Amazon. These stocks are doing really well right now. Anyone that is, has, is invested in those companies. The first thing they're looking at, what's the Dow doing? What's the S&P 500 doing? Where's the NASDAQ? And you're hearing, you know, NASDAQ just made all time highs or, you know, stocks are back on their highs for the first time in three months. When people hear that, they instantly want to jump. They go, okay, there's more money to be made in taking that overall opportunity to run the whole market up. My one stock doesn't have to do well, but if on a whole they can do well, I can make money. And I think that thought process behind it is pretty simple to think it through. Okay. I have a better chance of being right if I'm long S&P 500 versus being long a singular stock.
2: Yeah, and also you know the the index for for me and my experience. I'm gonna always share my experience because I don't want to tell people how to trade or where to trade. You got to kind of find your calling. But when you think about like Boeing, we're just talking about Boeing. You know, you could have you could have that uh, the, the move pegged pretty well, and then over the weekend the CEO gets a DUI, and that's gonna affect your your, your affect uh, things big time, or or something happens when you deal with you know your broad indexes. You know, one CEO of Boeing doing something crazy and stupid isn't going to change your position in, in the S&P. So if you're long S&P, you're looking for that to go up, you're long Boeing. I, I would rather dabble in the indexes. You're not going to be – it's like asystematic or unsystematic uh, versus systematic risk and, and not being caught on one little issue uh, of the uh, of a stock that's going to kill your position or or stop you out. So the, the indexes for any retail traders where I would be gravitating towards uh, it, it, a lot of things, and you get a broad breath on the, the feel of the economy. So when you're sitting there in Thanksgiving and, and you've been trading the S&P all year long, you literally can talk uh, the economy and, and, and understand how things are doing much better than somebody who's dabbling in individual stocks. You get a bigger picture.
1: A prime example that is Boeing. We saw last year, all stock markets were making all-time highs they were up astronomically on the year as Boeing sunk from $400 to $110 a share. You know, yep, that's a good one's idea. not going to hurt you if you're long the underlying index there.
0: Yeah, and you're also probably not going to get blown out by something that's lurking under the water that you don't know. You know, the whole S&P 500 cannot have a uh, accounting scandal that suddenly yep. bankrupts <laughs> the company. Uh, the banks tried to do it in 2008, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. They didn't get the full job done.
2: That's, that's the, yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, you can't, there's no one thing. There's FDA approval and all that that you're waiting on. So I like the the, the, the three uh, broad markets at NASDAQ, S&P, and, and the Dow. I think they're great. Uh, if you're really in tune with those three indexes, to me, you're in tune with, with uh, the economy and, and people's confidence in that economy.
1: You really are you know what's going on because then you're forcing yourself to pay attention even more. What are the economic numbers that are coming out? What does that mean? Okay, we saw unemployment hit all time high. Well, what does that mean, and how do I think about this going forward next month?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and I think the advantage of um say trading futures to trading options or at least in a retail sense is and Dan, you'll have to bat me up because you're the option man i'm not, but like the people who are pros and options are generally uh, like the sellers of options and um Futures is a more cost-effective way to uh, play something you're speculating on as opposed to paying this premium to make it you know, go one way or the other.
1: Right. The nice thing with options, and I think you've made a great point, between the retail side, when it comes to retail with options, it's a much different ballgame. When it comes to the professional side, there's a lot more ways to skin a cat there, as they say. I I know firsthand a lot of the professional retail or professional um, options traders in the treasury right now, before this big rally happened in the treasury side, they were all short premium every week and they were trading these weekly positions. And that was the thing. They were shorting premium and that's how you were making money. And as soon as these markets took off, that's where they got hurt. So no matter who you are, when the market is moving like this, you can get really stomped out. And that's why these guys are trading weeklies because they they know they can get out of that weekly position. They can run it to Friday and get the heck out and then they can reassess next week. And I think that's something we do here at Top Step. We talk all the time how important it is just to get flat when we're closed for a little bit because you don't know what can happen. You don't want to get stuck in these positions, whether your futures, your options, whatever the case may be, you don't want to get stuck in positions that you can't get out of when something bad happens. And that's what we saw with a lot of professional guys. Um, Major firms across the Chicagoland area um, and the option side were short premium as things rallied. And uh, we saw a lot of them go under. And I know firsthand a few guys took a couple weeks to finally get out of their position to shut down completely. They lost everything.
0: Yeah, that was quite the uh, time to be short the premium there. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about that, yeah. Well, I mean, and then the disadvantage, as I was talking about, like for futures, it's not really a disadvantage, it's just a feature of what the products are, is that with a lot of the option strategies, for instance, that retail traders are doing, sometimes they're kind of, uh, the most you can lose is, um, you know, what you put in type thing, you kind of have a defined risk, not if you're like selling, you know, naked calls or whatever, but um, (laughs) (laughs) with with futures, if you... uh, are quite stubborn with them, uh, they can keep going um, <laughs> in a way that th- th- there's not as much predefined. I mean, you can be responsible and be good with your risk management and, mm-hmm. you know, set stops and stuff. But if you don't follow them, I mean, they can just run and run and run.
2: Well, that, I think that's a, the, that's a t- uh, the the key point right there is the fact that if you go from equities to options, which is typically the re- retail path, equities to options, then I can definitely i understand why people are are driven towards hey i'm going to buy a call I'm only risking five hundred dollars on this, so basically that's them really in my eyes having a predefined risk management already put in, and the hefty lesson here is you know they don 't even have a risk management even foundation built yet, but they're getting that first little taste at if I put five hundred dollars in, the most i'm going to risk is five hundred, and my upside's unlimited, so that's really exciting now. If you can have that same type of discipline or, or or take that that learnings from options and do it into uh, the futures environment, you can put a OCO or auto OCO, uh, which is ba- basically order or cancels order or just what I like to call, I mean, risk management. So you go to buy crude oil, you go to buy the S&P, it will automatically put your $500 stop loss in and it'll put a whatever profit target in you want automatically. So there's your predefined risk parameters. Once you get those down, then you're in really good shape. And I think that's why people are are new retail traders, I should say, are driven towards options because they see that this is a max I can risk. But technically having stops and using those where you don't uh move your stop uh is is the right route to be trading in general you just get that kind of framed out for you in options
1: michael you just said something really interesting and i didn't want to rush over it equities when you start with equities and you're buying stock people have no problem okay i already lost this money in the sense i put this money into this this product or this company um if i bought 10 shares of something at 50 dollars, i and willing I've already willingly lost that money and so if it comes from $50 to 40 it's like well that's okay I'm, I, this market this stock can still come around. As soon as you transition into that options world you start to get your first taste of risk management. Okay, yeah. I have to know what my risk here is. You really don't a lot of retail traders when they get into the stocks they don't have that mentality of where's my out what's my risk in this position.
2: Yeah, I lost $330,000 trading accounts before trading futures, not after futures and and I lost lightly with options, but it was majority of just going into equities and not having stops because you know that was just something that i 'm only going to trade stocks that I like and if i if it goes against me, guess what that's in the long term portfolio now, but then you look at that <laughs> and all all that does is just absorb a bunch of your cash so then there's a there's a risk element to that too because now you can't you're sitting on something you're you're down. Uh, more than you'd like on it, so now it 's a part of your long term portfolio and, <laughs> transition that one over and you have to transit and then like you're sitting there and then next thing you have a bunch of crap in your long term portfolio so i that's like that's how I got suckered into all this is is playing that game, no risk no risk management and it wasn't until basically coming to futures and having uh you know predefined in my head always saying hey i'm gonna risk no more than 500 or or if that's my daily loss limit mean, i'd have you know per trade it'd be a couple hundred dollars and and that's how i manage things and i would look for a couple hundred dollar moves and there was a one-to-one and you kind of started off things instead of like hitting your 10 to 1 5 to 1s where these home runs that everybody talks about i said hey i'm just gonna go risk reward one-to-one but that transition, it's kind of like gunslinging out of the gates, Wild West. Hey, I like Nike. Of course, it's going to go up. You know, I'll, I'll do one really good example right here. Just today, got delisted. At Hertz got delisted. About three years ago, we used to call it the summer of Hertz. Hertz uh, was rocket ship. It went from like seven to fifteen to eighteen to twenty something, and everybody's like, "I oh, just buy and hold if it doesn't work out." Well, you should have. You, you, you no, that should have. If you would have done that. Um, on your great, you know, if you would have gotten on ten bucks and went all the way up to I don't know twenty something, or it was just a screaming rally uh, all throughout the summer about three years ago, and now you're you lost everything. So it's trading two bucks right now. It went delisted. So and that's hurts. That's a of course you're gonna go rent a car right now. They're going through file bankruptcy. I don't know if you can rent one right now, but you know you have that brand name and you're gonna think in your head, oh this is a great company. You don't know what's underneath the quote unquote hood. <laughs> I was I was just gonna point that out because
0: the uh you know it just goes a little bit into like a business or corporate finance, but the, part of the reason that um uh the rental car companies were such good stocks for a while is they're they're very uh financially advantaged through the tax system mm-hmm. um, with how they use depreciation basically Hertz or other them has, has figured out a way to just pay no taxes. So and uh it's great until Something like this happens where uh you know
2: <laughs> isn't that crazy when you land in Denver and you see a couple of football fields full full of uh parking lots that are loaded with cars. And they're <laughs> all they're all brand new. And they're all brand new and and you know, their big their big comment was you can't uh, run a business with zero revenues. You know, well maybe your business wasn't uh wasn't as flexible to, to handle certain things. And I'm not calling out any rental car businesses, but you know. So if we're going to go back to the retail conversation, then, then you got to look at things uh, this way, that no, no stock's always going to go up and to the right for, for you know, it's not a Warren Buffett always play. And even with big names like Hertz or or whomever, they can go down to zero. So it does become risk management. I see the progression from equities to options because you have that first level of risk management. I got unlimited profits. Well, I'm only going to risk $500. I see that drawing. But when you really want to make this a serious play and and make trading your future, futures is 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 set up for those type of traders to um, that that understand and starting to starting to respect risk. It may not be there yet, but the foundation's starting to be built. And then you get them into futures, and you got these auto OCOS, you got these bracket orders and, and whatnot. There's your risk management, and then it just becomes about accuracy. You know, if you're going to shoot a two to one, you know, risk. $100, $100, make $200 on every play, you only need to be right, better than Vegas. You only need to be right 40% of the time. You don't need to be 50-50. If you are, that's a really good, you have a, a great profitability percentage, uh, probability per, per, per trade. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: What do you think about when you start dabbling with this OCOs and putting your brackets on and understanding your risk, I think it's important to keep in mind, it's your job as the trader to not touch those.
2: Mm -hmm. let it play out they call let it the trade play out you set it and forget it you put the trade forget it because that (laughs) kind of sounds like you just go yeah i think there's always a good watchful eye so then you take in what the market's telling you because it's telling you information doesn't mean you have to trade it absolutely
1: my theory behind it is always and every trader i talk to i tell them what got you into the trade if that hasn't changed you stick with it if there's been a a large change or a market adjustment or a major news has just developed. Okay. Then we have a reason to say, you know what? I'm only a hundred dollars into this trade up. I'm looking for 200. My risk was a hundred, but unemployment just came out and that's at 14%. Okay. Close that trade out. Yep. Take that money and move on.
2: Yep. New information hit the marketplace. Yeah. But said and forget, I, I get that uh, for some reason I've always kind of strayed away and said, Hey, let the trade play out. But yeah, there's to each its own is definitely the same, the same message. Well,
0: probably the most right. like important attribute of a really good trader is being able to recognize that you're wrong and being okay with that. Just get, you know what I mean? Just getting out of it because the thing about risk management, what makes it so hard is that it's not sexy, right? I mean, it's not, people don't like, people love the stories. Like I, I've talked about this in the podcast before. There's a reason people levitate or gravitate towards you know something like the big short i mean it's 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 a fun story to follow the person who's a contrarian and just it, they're right when everyone else is wrong but the truth is that's just like not how you become a good trader
1: generally
2: no it's rare i mean good trading is like watching the paint dry it is boring
1: it's brutal well you think about it i like to i think a lot of traders have that athletic mentality michael you were just talking about that when we were just talking about trading um the the equi- or the index markets you were a college football player. You played receiver. You drop one pass. It's not going to determine how you're gonna, how the outcome of that entire game is for you as a football player. Same thing for me was hockey. If I had one bad shift, it's not going to determine the outcome of the game. And I think if you can create those mindsets and find ways to take your your personal life lessons that you learned outside of trading and apply them to trading and say, look, one drop pass, one bad shift is not going to determine where this game ends up. And trading the same thing. Don't let that one trade, don't let that one drop pass affect that overall account so that you can continue to trade tomorrow.
2: And I think that's why when we go back to the retail traders, getting them to move into a more sophisticated uh asset class or product to trade because you don't really have that in equities. You could put a stock you could buy stock if it goes against you. You don't really have to be convicted and be like, oh, you know what? I thought I was going to make that move. It didn't make that move. It actually went the other way. But I like it now. Now the reasons why you get in the trade just now changed and you throw that one into your long term and then you go to another one. Next thing you know, you have a long term portfolio and then your short term, you don't have any capital to trade. So the having the conviction and then that 's why the progression is all right well you know if I lose all five hundred then i 'm going to make a new decision i 'm not holding on to anything if I go to options and I lose five hundred in my call or you know if paying the premium um, that 's what that 's what 's great about again i 'm just going to always be an advocate because i 've gone the path from equities to i didn 't jump on the fX train uh, it wasn't it wasn 't something that I really gravitated towards I could see how overseas uh, it 's really big because just crossing state lines, you know, you crossing country lines, and you got to understand the currency. And I could see the, the 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 draw and attraction there. But I went from equities to options to futures, and, and futures again. When you have that uh, in and out conviction and your your risk reward and that respect for risk reward, you really start to get the reps and understand how the game is played, the trading game, the retail trading game. That then ends up helping you turn into a professional trader.
1: That's exactly what it is too. This is kind of a game and you have to have that game plan every time you sit down to trade. You have to know what you're going to do. Those decisions need to be made usually before you're into the market. Once you get in, you do exactly what you said. You kind of get that conviction. I I got stopped out, but I still really like the short side. And maybe once or twice is okay if you're managing your risk and you're like, look, this level still is a great level to be short at. Fine. But those decisions were made prior to. And as soon as you start to get the convictions and you keep trying to short that market and the market's telling you otherwise, you have to step back, reassess. Now it's a new decision-making process. Let's reassess my strategy and plan here for the day. And then I can make my adjustment.
0: Yeah. Michael, you've been doing some trading lately as well. I mean, we don't go into like tell people how and stuff, but so uh, what are you sort of looking at the most? You know, as far as like, you're putting on a futures trade. Um, are you, you just like a pure order flow guy or
2: order flow and range? Uh, well, the range is, uh, right now we just broke out of it. It was, uh, I've been watching the S and P dabbling in the S and P and I got so many things going on. So I keep things really light position wise. So it, it's, you know, they, we were like in the, the 2,800, uh, to the 3,000 range right there. I've been stuck in there for a while. So that was something. And, and then playing the outsides, the extremes of those range, you know, when it comes up to the level. So. Right now it's looking you know, it broke to the upside, it's above the three thousand area. Is this a continuation or is it gonna slowly kind of fade out? And are we gonna come back in, suck down into the, the that range again and, and play that? So right now that's that's kind of the the you know, today's May twenty sixth. So all that could change uh, if you don't know, get off this podcast and look over there. And there's new information that just hit the market. So that's all something you digest as you as you watch the markets. And a big thing that I can, my old retail, my professional self can t- say to my resale retail self, uh, old retail self, is the uh, you know let the market come to you, let it tell you. There's so many times as a as a new retail trader, I, I said it's going to go up, it's going to do this. It's very arrogant talk as as a trader because you do not know where it's going to go. You 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 look at things, you analyze things, and and uh, your your experience says you know based on this, I, I you know I'm going to jump in, I'm going to make this play, but I have a I have a, a uh, you know a loss limit here or, or a stop here that if it hits that, I'll, I'll assume you know that I, I that's not the play that that uh, and you have that risk level so that's what that's kind of how I dabble i dabble in watching order flow uh finding out what these important levels are um, seeing which direction we are i take a uh, satellite down to the front door of your your house approach where you look at it from uh, outer space and say all right on a weekly on on a daily which way are we trending all right i got the trend there and and, and I got some levels there now let's zoom in a little bit on a you know, on an hourly, on a 30-minute, how are we trending there? And when you get all that uh, kind of like top down all the way till you get to, hey, you know what? I'm going to execute. Then you go to your front door and you you, you say, all right, let's get long on a five-minute chart or uh, on a 10-minute chart right about here. And that's where you get your, get your entries or your exits. But as far as like kind of looking at the, 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 the play that you want to make, I do that. And I always keep my risk, my, my bracket, so to speak, or whatever you want to call it. Um your OCOs or, or just your risk reward uh for each trade. Yeah, you gotta zoom out to see that full picture. And I think something that's been
0: fascinating recently when you're talking about that range that's been in, with obviously so much um uncertainty going on as far as as far as everything really is um the technicals have been super important. They've really held <laughs> up because uh, when there's nothing else to base it on, everybody has to agree at some point, fine, we're gonna use that hundred day moving average. We use that two hundred yep. day moving average and uh that big fat three thousand number. Let's just do it.
2: It was holding there really strong. Early March, I mean it was everything was knife hot knife through a butter. There was no no not a technical out there was holding up, except there was one that held up and the it was attack. the yeah right I was <laughs> attack yeah, yeah, momentum. No, it was the uh when you zoomed out, you had to zoom out. It was the monthly on the S&P and, and Dow, the 200-period the moving average on a monthly, I think it was the monthly or weekly. It was either the weekly or the monthly 200-period moving average is what it bounced off of um, down there. And that was, you know, moving averages have always been around since the dawn of time. Those are good indicators that you just want to keep your indicator, you know, screen light. Moving averages are probably what i just throw on there.
1: Yeah, keep an eye on them. So, Michael, I want to ask you a question. You mentioned 3,000. You mentioned this range we've been trading in. And One of the more common questions I get from traders is simply, how do you accept these levels? At what point are you going to say, all right, I'm going to now accept 3,000, not as a support, but sort of that, I guess we can say support area when that market comes back down. What for you, and for me, I think this is a big level for us, and we really have to show extreme acceptance up above this level. Um, for some long-term play. But when you look at it, what do you look for acceptance?
2: Um, I mean, I'm watching the market. The market is thy greatest greatest teacher. I mean, it tells you where it wants to go. So for a lot of it is is that. Um, and it's just continuation of the move. It's always going to retest areas. So the question is, are you going to get shook out or shaken out or whatever you want to call it of trade uh, if it goes to retest? I know a lot of people get into a trade, move their stop to break even, which it, it is great too. Uh, uh, but then it comes back to retest, and you would have been right, but you get stopped out. I'm sure we all have had that issue before, and then we've all you've moved our stops before to just eventually <laughs> just keep finding your stop wherever you moved it. So, so it's just a balancing act, and it, again, it's finding your own patterns of your own behavior, letting the market come to you, staying patient. Um, You know, plays, we like to perceive when we sit here that things are going to happen. The market moves slow. I mentioned before, it's like watching paint dry when you're good at trading. It's just sometimes moves are a lot slower and and unfold. And you probably can be correct on a lot of these things. But if you get in too soon and, and you have... Uh, your risk reward—you could get stopped out and be and be right on that trade. So that's just the key of of entries, and uh, your entries are just so very very important. That's this the whole sitting on your hands, waiting for kind of high probability stuff to to set up is is what I've always you know told traders to do to kind of get themselves out of a slump. But when things are going well, I don't like to tell anybody what you know. I, I like to say what it, what are you doing and. Usually they don't want to talk about it too much. It's like calling out your streaks, but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I mean, what, what do you guys look at on this type of stuff when you're when you're trading and and uh, we break through important levels? For me, like
1: and I'm and I'm only looking at this in that concept of long term. Can we keep up keep up this momentum? Can we stay above this three thousand? I think when it comes to an intraday thing, it's a matter of what's the market doing today, and that's all that matters. I think when I look at three thousand right now. We saw the break above it. That's a huge move right now for the S&Ps to get up above there. It's had a really hard time. That 200-session moving average, last I looked, was 29.99. dollars um, So we knew it was going to have a hard time getting through. But I think when you think in that long-term perspective, we really have to see this thing stay above through the week into next week to really say, okay, 3,000s a good area now. Now I'm okay at 3000 Where's that next point I'm going to be looking? obviously of how things continue to play out through the rest of the week we're just getting started has going to be has a huge effect on that outlook coming next week but right now when i look at it i say look we're above 3000 tomorrow it could very easily drop right below but maybe if we show friday that might help
2: yeah, yeah. So I the 3000 level. I always, I never called things support or resistance level. I think it created a bias for me. Mm-hmm. So I always I always just called things levels. Even though it was on the, you know, we're trading below it and 3000 was above, you know, I'm not saying, oh, that's a resistance level. No, I'm just saying that's a level. So then if it breaks through that level, sits on that level, I am closely watching what is happening. Does it suck back down to that level? Does it. You know how does it behave around those levels, and that's where Jack, we get back to when you talk about order flow and and whatnot. You're looking Mm -hmm. at it, you're really paying attention to the order flow around there, uh, and then the temperament of the stock, and then what information is 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 out there that uh, is either being digested right now or that may be coming a couple days from now too. Unemployment numbers coming up right now, I think that's another big one. So you know you got stuff like that, and you know, if you're tomorrow morning's the unemployment number or something like that, then, you know, you, the markets may be waiting for, for new information. So how does it play out? And what do I want to be in a position or do I want to take take my profits or let my trade play out or however? So this is just, it's a constant, uh, you're, you're molding and sculpting, uh, you know, things. And, and of course, we always want to let the trade play out. But if all information is still there that got you into the trade, that's when you still want to keep that position on.
0: I like playing the uh, psychological game a, a little framework that helps me is if I'm in a trade one way or the other I try and think about well how would I feel if I was on the other side of this trade yep and, and sometimes that'll give me the confidence I need to hold something if, if I would be terrified to be on the other side of the trade then I'm usually I usually feel pretty good about it
2: yeah that's a great way to look at it I think when I was really in cold there's times where I've been in really bad cold spells where I would just take the opposite of whatever I wanted to do. So if I wanted to be long, uh, for me to break my cold spell and just to be, you know, because you can be right both ways or wrong both ways, right both ways too. But then there would be times for, like, you know what, I've been so cold right now. I, I'm just going to take the other way and let my trade play out that way. And then just for that information, I mean, it was I would never load up or anything like that, on that type of stuff. But when you're in a cold, cold spell, you shouldn't be loading up. If anything, you should be sizing down. So there would be times where you have to kind of, I always say, have that flexible bias or that uh, strong opinion that's weakly held, uh, because you have to ebb and flow and, and dance with the market, and you know your time frame could be way different than the market's time frame.
1: Right. We don't always have to be right in every decision we make. Our job is to be profitable as traders. So it's that you know checking the ego before you sit down to trade. Look, forget what you. We may all have this bias that you know equities may are going to make a new bottom or we 're going to make new highs in the next three months. Cool, you can have that opinion, but when you sit down to trade, you have to forget that stuff, and your job is to make money it 's not how you do it it 's to make money, and who cares if you 're right or wrong
2: that 's a perfect example on going back to the newbie equities trader because then they'll they 'll find something well. It, it, it's a it, they have the new product coming out, and then you have to justify in a whole new way. Well, it's not about that. The trading's about risk management, money management, first and it, it, first. That's the, it. Bottom line. That's yeah, your bottom job. Line. Yeah. Who cares if the new Jordans are coming out and there's a line around the block? It's probably already priced in. And if you're talking like that, that means you don't know what priced in is. So, <laughs> stuff like that, stuff like that is is where we learn by baptism by fire. And it's another great reason why Top Step and and just using the sim environment and, and and taking it real seriously and, and practical you know uh, trading uh, on it makes makes sense but you know a lot of people like to dive head first right a lot of new retails like to dive dive head first
1: and and it makes sense and i think because people come when you get into this industry the first thought you have in your mind is gordon gecko yep know, i'm going to make big money and
2: once Oh, we- you don't want to be bud fox <laughs> right Well, you You can be one of these
1: airlines, (laughs) right? You can be one of these Hollywood guys that you see that are traders in in the financial world, and that's the first mentality: is I'm going to make so much money. As opposed to, it's not about making money; it's how do I manage the money I have to slowly grow that over time. And if you're starting with a hundred, okay, how do I turn a hundred dollars into a hundred and fifty without losing the hundred I started with? And you take those baby steps. And I think that's one of the common um, hurdles that traders, new new retail traders struggle with is they start and they think, I'm going to turn 100 into 1,000. And it's very easy to lose that 100 to start. But if you can go, I'm going to turn 100 into $120. And if I can grow it little by little over time, once you have turned 100 into 1,000, making that next $200 is going to be a little bit easier.
2: So, Danny, are you saying heart surgeons didn't just go to the operation room right after undergrad?
1: You know, that's kind of what I'm saying. Took, uh, <laughs> you know, hey, I just, I just binge watched Scrubs over quarantine. Uh-huh. I watched how much work. I'm know? ready.
2: I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to do it. And you're right about that. And that's why baptism by fire in this industry is kind of always been like, you know, it's my investment. It's I'm teaching myself. It's. So. You know, maybe a Harvard level type education cost wise, but you don't have to pay that high tuition to to learn the markets. And I think a lot of people after they take uh, some hits, then they realize, you yeah, know, I'm what's another five grand? What's another ten grand? It's you know, I'm learning. You know, there's different ways. Sure, five grand, yeah, ten grand, yeah. But once you get past that, don't lose three thirty thousand dollar trading accounts like I did. I did not have to. I did not have. I could have maybe been in a better position. I don't know if I would have spent it the right way uh, if I had an extra 60 grand later around because I probably still would have gone through th- the first one. I didn't need to go through three though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's kind of the philosophy of the uh, your trading combine, Michael.
2: <laughs> oh, that is the philosophy. Yeah. Because you, you have these downsides and it's could be your max loss in a, in a combine account or whatever. That gives you a chance to step back and say, all right, whatever I was doing wasn't working. I I, I broke that rule in the combine. It cost me minimal amount of money. That's a, that's tuition and education investment in your future. What do I need to do next to get myself in a better position? Reset. All right, here we go. Base hit, base hit. Get on base. Double, double. All right, cool. I passed. And you get yourself in a confidence zone, and you also start to slow everything down. And I think that's also a good thing that newbies don't have. New newbie retail. But, uh, you know, the retail journey is a fun journey. Just don't get caught up in thinking that you have to pay the, 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 the fortunes to, to get to where you're at. Um, you want to get that practical learning. The learn by doing. The market's your greatest teacher. I mean, these are all real, real uh, cliche lines that, that make a lot of sense. And that's why Top Step, that's why we do it at Top Step is, is provide that safe environment and then with real opportunity.
1: Notice how he also didn't – he only said singles and doubles, no home runs, no grand slams.
2: That's not what – want, We want We them, but you don't get them, them. unless – Yeah, I mean, it just, it's just so nice. And usually the, the grand slams are kind of the ones that you didn't set up for. It's kind of like you added to a winner or something like that, and then it just – something – Right,
1: and the only way for a grand slam to happen is you have to get people on base. You
2: know? Yep, yep, we basically.
1: Analogies, you have gotta have three people good, on yeah.
2: base good. before
1: you're hitting that, a grand slam.
2: You're definitely you're correct. not That's coming right. out
1: the gates on the first pitch in the first inning, hitting a grand. It's not happening.
2: Well said, Hodgman. I agree. Base hits win ball games, and when you load them all up, then you know, maybe you could sing, you know lean back on that that back foot a little bit and swing a little harder. But you <clears> but you've
1: you've managed the risk to get to that point. That's what you have. To, you have to be in a position that you can. Because a lot of times I think we see traders say, all right, I'm going to load up here. It's been going against me. I'm going to load up and take the shot. That's not when you take the shot. You take that shot when you have the capital, you have the risk and go, look, I can take the risk here. I think there's a chance to take that shot.
2: And I've learned too, you've, you, make, you kind of make your most and you kind of have your best trades too when you don't really need them. Like when somebody, you know, when somebody's like, oh, I got to, I got to break a cold spell. I got to, you know, I got to make money. When you, when you actually change it and you're just in the zone, you know, like you see with athletes, that's why we always use the baseball analogy. Cause you see with athletes, I mean, they get up, they're getting heckled. They got a uh, swing at a 90 some hundred mile an hour ball. It could be moving on them and all that. It's like, you got all that stuff. So it, when you're just in the zone, you, you tune everything out. And you're always feeling like you're ahead, and you're in this like confident. The zone could be whatever your zone is, and and mine is where I'm confident. I'm not cocky. Uh, I'm not timid. I'm not fearful. Um, but yet I have a, a, a ton of respect that I could be wrong. And if I am wrong, I'm going to take that as a learning experience and move forward, and just make sure that you know I'm not I'm not risking too much.
1: Right. Once you're in that position, you've probably already been doing pretty well that day you're feeling you confident.
2: Yeah. yeah, you're confident yeah.
1: at this point. Okay, now look, I got a I got a low and away fastball. I'm taking the swing. It's set up nicely, but you know what? I still got a couple more strikes I can take if I miss.
2: And a guy like me, I may not know I may not do well with a low and away. That's my own journey, and I got to lay off that. You can get up there and hit that. That pitcher may be for you. So, when some markets are suiting you well and and I'm not that Style of trader to I wasn't a range bound trader, even though I've been to- uh, talking about that a little or focusing on that a little bit more lately. But in the early days, I was a breakout trader, and those those to me were were where I those are the type of pitches I like to hit.
0: Well, this is a range bound podcast, so we should
2: probably <laughs> get to the uh,
0: conclusion part of it here, as we say it. So, uh, well, usually we don't have the guest with us for this part, but it's easy enough to do. um Michael, thanks so much for stopping by sure we'll have you on again sometime it's good just to like talk things through
2: thank you very much for having me on
0: yeah in the meantime uh thank you everybody who listened this far to the limit up podcast check out our blog uh check out the top step website to see what's going on there you can learn more about the trading combine we got tons of stuff on youtube uh rate and subscribe to this podcast dan anything
1: else no, just having a have a nice weekend. We're uh, we're almost there. Get out, enjoy some sun, and uh, stay safe and wash your hands.
0: All right, everyone, uh, stay safe. Namaste and trade well. The Limit Up Podcast is produced by Dante Thirty Two.